Curian Podcast. I'm Aisla. And I'm Eric. And this week we are going to talk about Dubai or not Dubai. So we've actually been researching this one for a couple of weeks um, in between even research for other shows and stuff like that. Uh, it all started when um, an article came out mm, several, several weeks ago now um, that stated unequivocally all women are fundamentally bisexual. Which brought up a question, you know, for a long time, there's definitely this mythology that bisexual people don't exist. So do they exist or are all women and lots of men bisexual? Like what's, what's the, what's, what's happening here? (laughs) Pendulum. So, and to qualify, you brought up that myth. I hadn't heard that as much that bisexuality didn't exist. The thing that's not a myth that I can definitely confirm is that, um, when you sell, say LGBT, most people um, are not acknowledging the B. Um, I have helped out with a couple of um, local and national groups that are working on bi awareness. Um, Paves is one of them, run locally here in Denver, um, because it's very obvious to people in that community that they are not thought of and respected. So, well, it's an invisible majority. There's a study done in outside of San Francisco by the Human Relations Commission several years ago that talked about the ways in which bi people tend to show the effects of stigma at higher rates, like higher rates of depression, higher rates of alcoholism because of isolation. And and that's where the the mythology around bi people don't exist is its phase. Like, not really bi. Or they won't pick. Or they won't pick. And a lot of times the assumption is that if a man says that he's bisexual, actually he's gay. And he's just occasionally willing to sleep with women. Or hide that he's actually gay by sleeping with women, right? Like, there's a a, a perception that it's a deception. And the same thing with women. Only it's the reverse. That women aren't really bi. They're just messing around with women until they find the right man. Right. Or doing it for attention. Or, yeah. And that, so that's, that's the one that I've heard propagated the most, is that most women are bi because it gets them the attention from men that they were looking for. Yeah. And and so that that is where the the myth of, like, bisexual people don't exist kind of comes from, is, is there, they are, they're a phase or it's about attention or it's not really where they're going to land or whatever. Right. Um, but to get back to it, so of course th- there is all of that, but in, in, as with most things related to sexuality in general, um, just depends on who you ask. Somebody's going to say, you know, there's no such thing as bi people. Somebody else is going to say, oh, you everyone's, know, bi. everyone's bi. Right. Um, it's, it's way more based on opinion. So when there's an actual study done, whether it's complete BS or not, as this one kind of caught our attention, um, you know, I, I do pay attention to that because it's at least interesting to know and see that people are, um, first off, acknowledging bisexuality. Um, and then you can get into analyzing whatever outlandish or non-outlandish claims they're making. So in this case... Um, well, so I'll, I'll put a couple things out there. Most studies on sexuality, frequently, I should say, studies on sexuality, have been geared towards behavior and self-reporting. So they'll they'll do, a, you know, sort of a study in terms of they'll ask people questions about their behavior 
because they can't really um, assess identity. It's a little too slippery. So I might identify as straight. However, my behavior indicates that I'm bisexual because I've had sexual encounters with women. Uh, and and, and there's a stigma about admitting that. So if you're asking for self-reporting, right, you're not necessarily guaranteed to get honest answers. So this particular study, and it's one of a few that have been done in the last few years, was measuring sexual responsiveness from a biological perspective. So what they did was they took the participants and they hooked them up to machines and they measured, I guess, the the two major indicators of sexual response are pupil dilation and blood flow to the genitals. So they measured those things while showing them sexual activity of and naked pictures. There were a couple different studies, so I'm, I think, squishing them in my head. Um, but they showed sexual activity of men with men, men with women, women with women, and then measured their sexual response to watching this activity. And what did they find? It's very interesting. They found that the women who identified as heterosexual were actually, they were sexually responsive to most of the different uh, types of behavior. They didn't really seem to have a gender preference in terms of their biological response. So it was more of the behavior they were watching, not who was doing it. That was the, one of the studies, the conclusion was that heterosexual women seemed, heterosexually identified women seemed to be more influenced by the activity. So seeing sex. Right. Between whoever. Right. And, and they called it, I love this term, they called it something that was, their their body in some way deemed sexually relevant. Which is a key point because we were actually talking about this right before we hit record on the podcast. Um, where, where it really kind of got off the rails, I think, on this was the idea of sexually relevant doesn't necessarily imply attraction. Right. And so this is a term I had never heard before. And I, I really appreciated, it was actually another article, this uh, person did a review of the study, and I really appreciated a lot of the things that she brought to the table. And so I'm going to just read part of this. Uh, she said, the study fails to take into account a few factors that might complicate it. It's all women are a tiny bit gay hypothesis. It's interesting. She doesn't say bye. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, there you go. Um, the first is that women exhibit arousal non-concordance, which is a sexy way of saying there is only a 10% overlap between what a woman's genitals or pupils are doing and her subjective level of arousal. So how she feels about in terms of attraction. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, do, do people even realize, you know, like, oh, there's increased blood flow or whatever. I mean, it might just feel like a reaction. But if you don't have an attraction, you may not label as like, oh, I'm really into what that person's doing or that person. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's a you know, our bodies do things. You know, we get sad for no reason. So this is it. So like, like the sexually relevant thing, like our are, you know, there's some part of us that's designed to react to a sexual environment. And 
and interestingly, uh, so with men, the sexual non-concordance is only 50%, which is that 50% of the time when a man has a sexual response or an erection, it's due to something that that man finds sexually attractive or appealing. The other half of the time, it's a willy-nilly willy. I know you wanted to get that I really in. wanted to say that. I love her. And, um, you know, I, I think a little part of me is actually surprised that it's not 90-10 in the opposite direction, that it's only 50-50 for men because, um, you know, and, and, and it's another myth that's kind of propagated that all men just sort of want to pounce whenever yeah. they see anything remotely interesting. Um, I have met men like that, but I've also met men, plenty of men that are not like that. It, it's an interesting thing that well, the average is a 50-50 shot that they're having a response because they're interested versus not. Versus a sexual relevance. Well, I feel like men are also really taught to act anytime they have a response. They, you know, that that means. Well, I thank God they're not in my estimation. Um, I think there's. I think men are taught to not necessarily act every time they have a response. Okay, that's fair, but they're taught to notice it and think it's real. Like I don't think that men are taught to. Oh, it feels real. Right. I'm just kidding. Okay. I, I, I don't know. It's not necessarily. Not I, I have certainly seen plenty of things in the world that seemed attractive or whatever, and I'll have that like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't act on them. I don't tend to. I like I said, I've met plenty of guys who do. Mm-hmm. Um, like they just don't have that filter, that, that filter of like, is this appropriate? Am I actually interested in this? Or did she just walk by at an angle or he just walked by at an angle that looked very attractive. And now all of a sudden I think I just met the love of my life. It, it really depends. And again, that's why I feel like some of these tests are so, so subjective and so many people have such different responses. I can tell you, you know, being on a work trip at a major retailer with the vast array of, you know, the guy who probably wasn't going to come back to the hotel room with our group because that's how he rolled every night. Mm-hmm. He was going to find something interesting to do with somebody else versus the other people that were hanging out around me saying, wow, how does he do that? That's I could never live like that. I could just never do that. Yeah, I, I think that more in terms of just sort of cultural trends, I do think that women are taught to suppress and ignore anything that feels like desire and men are taught maybe that they have to restrain it not necessarily that they have to pretend it doesn't exist right well and and then you're especially taught it if you're identifying as straight you're not allowed to have those feelings about another man so there's that and i do think that women um it's less frowned upon in society to be a bi woman which is why I think a test, uh, 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 this the study that was done was even allowed to exist because, of course, we can actually investigate just how by all women who clearly are by. There, there were some studies, and I didn't put them in the notes, that were about men studying male bi- bisexuality, and uh, they were they're pretty interesting in terms of. But you, there's a lot of reproach if you actually even acknowledge that. So, even if a man was having that sort of attraction. Um, they wouldn't tell their friends, probably not even their doctor or some stranger doing a study. No, if we're talking same, self-reporting, though. No, no, it was the same thing. Same they style, did the, right. Like the, the pupil dilation and, and the, the... But men can always get away with the claim like, I, they were just having sex. Of course it was into it. Yeah. No, it doesn't I, matter who it was. It was sex. I think, and that's what I'm saying is like that I think that, that 50-50 thing for guys... 
right. is, and some of it, I mean, not having male parts myself, I do think that men are forced to confront it a little more. <laughs> like, you know, from, I think, I think men a have obvious. a more noticeable arousal. Yeah. And so there's something going on there that, that and, forces and them to be more present with what's actually happening for them. I remember as a teenager, yeah, it was something that I had to acknowledge, like, I'm having this response. What does this mean? I mean, everybody jokes about that. You know, what what does these what do these feelings in my body mean? But it really is a question that you're asking. Like, does this mean I'm attracted to somebody? Is this just hormones? What's what does it all mean? Yeah. But you know, I and, and to the to the point of the study. So eventually, they get to the point where they're like, well, if every woman is aroused by whatever they see, clearly they can't be that picky about who they're with. Right, it's so it's a it's a hopeful thing for all of those lonely hearts out there. Right. They, so the so I found so to go back the the sexual nonconcordance thing. I thought that was really interesting in terms of recognizing that there are these distinctions. There's what you find actually attractive and appealing. There's what's sexually relevant to you, which your body may respond to, and and then there's no response at all. Right. I mean, I just see so many flaws in the whole concept of the test. Like we've proven, I think, in plenty of other tests that seeing sex and it, 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 it <laughs> a lot of this discussion reminds me of one of my favorite shows, Coupling. And there's, there's so many different things <laughs> yeah. in there. And I recommend our listeners, if you haven't watched, it's a British show. Don't watch the American version. They did a terrible job. And it's a BBC show called Coupling. And they, they reference a lot of these things. And in some ways... Um, you know, a lot of this just feels like things that they used to kind of make fun of on that show all the time. One that's not as relevant is the giggle loop. So you start to think about a laugh and then you try to repress it, which of course makes you want to laugh a little bit more. And then of course, the more that you try to repress it, that's when you burst out and laugh inappropriately at a funeral or something. Right. I think though that there's something to be said about human mentality and, and, just biology in general, that when we see sex, we're going to have a response. I think the only relevant question to ask in that situation is, do you find either of the two people you are watching have sex right now attractive? Is it the man? Is it the woman? Is it one of the two men? Is it one of the two women? Is it just that you're having a response to what you're seeing? Like measuring blood flow, that's like, did your pupils dilate? Uh, when the lights went out, like there'd be a problem if they didn't. Right. Well, and that, and that's, I think in some ways what you're talking about is exactly it. They were, they were looking for something that was not as subjective. So your pupils dilate in a certain way and your blood flow increases in a certain way. But that, that means that your body is having a physiological response. It's not arousal. It's arousal in the strictest scientific biological sense. And it's the only way to counter the self-reporting studies that are a little bit slippier because they deal so much with social stigma. So a lot of like a lot of studies on attraction and arousal and identification and orientation are people describing their experiences. And that is so, so they take, it's very subjective. Very subjective. I totally get it. But I, I think sexuality is subjective. That's not the show we're doing right now. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we could do that show. Right now we're doing the, the to buy or not to buy. Well, but that's, I mean, that sort of is along the lines of the point here, that this 
This test made the argument that all women are oh, wait, no. slightly test, bisexual. Dr. Rieger, Rieger I'm going to read his quote. Or okay. Do you want to read it? No, you read okay. it. It's not doesn't say willy-nilly willy, so it's not nearly as fun. So I'm willing to share it. Even though the majority of women identify as straight, our research clearly demonstrates that when it comes to what turns them on, they are either bisexual or gay, never straight. That's ridiculous. It's offensive, actually. <laughs> but but he said that. In a world where I would like to continue to fight for bisexual rights and recognition, that's just offensive. <laughs> it is. And the, there's another point made. Again, because of the physiological response. So not the, necessarily actually asking if any of those people would actually go and do anything with the people they're assuming that they're obviously clearly attracted to in this test. Right. And so one of the things that a commentator said in turn, in response to this study, uh, Dr. Savin Williams warned that cultural expectations of sexuality need to change in order for people to be more comfortable with who they're attracted to, which goes to my point earlier that we are, we are for a variety of reasons of, you know, every gender taught to suppress certain kinds of attractions. And I don't know that anyone wants to live in a world where everybody just acts on whatever attraction they have. I think that some form of discretion and restraint Agreed. is is desired. However, there's a really big difference between repressing actually what's happening for you and acknowledging it and then making some choices around it. Right. I mean, you know, I, I, I had you print out something that, that we'll, we'll have in the notes. Um, but if, if anybody's not familiar with the Kinsey scale, mm-hmm. which is to say that bi is not just like an on-off switch. You're not bi or straight or gay. You can be straight or gay and just identify that way and act accordingly. Again, back to the point we made earlier that it's, it's more in what you were doing and had been doing and want to be doing that defines that. But, you know, bisexuality can be on a scale. You can be a little bi. You can be a little attracted to the same sex, but majority attracted to the opposite sex. You can be the opposite of that, too. You can be all the way at the other end of the scale, where you're pretty much gay or lesbian, but not entirely closed down to the opposite sex. And I think that's where the real problem comes in, because on one hand, I want to tear... The, the study apart, especially the, <laughs> especially what what they said about it, and and you know the conclusions they drew, um, because it is offensive. But on the other hand, you know it gives a great opportunity to map out that you know maybe one or two of those study participants can acknowledge and feel a little more comfortable that yeah, you know, they're not totally opposed to sleeping with the same sex well, versus. I- you know, being totally not opposed to sleeping with the opposite sex. And interestingly, studies on uh, men in general and lesbians are that their sexual responses to what is sexually relevant and their identity tend to match more. So if someone identifies as a lesbian, their likelihood of having a sexual response to their preferred gender is much higher than if somebody identifies as a heterosexual woman. So a question that I have around that, and it comes back to the cultural expectation part, is if you are gay, you probably had to go through some kind of process to acknowledge that 
and determine what you find attractive because it's possibly not, dating the wrong sex you might. Yeah. You might have dated somebody who was not a match for that reason. And, and if you are heterosexual, that's kind of what everybody expects you to do. So it might also be that there's a large chunk of women out there who have never gone through that process for they, they didn't have any reason to, they met somebody who was some attractive to them, got together with them. They're happy in that situation. And they could also be with women. It just doesn't, hasn't come up for them. Right. And so I think that there's, there's something to that as well, that not having, not having to go through that deconstruction process might mean that there are, there are folks who kind of live there without really knowing that those options exist for them because they don't really need them. They're mm-hmm. fine. Right. right? They, the, the, the default programming works. <laughs> they don't, they don't need another option. And and they said generally men are that way as well, although they've been doing more studies. And this one woman, the Dr. Seven Williams, says that they're starting to recognize that men and aspects of male sexuality are also exist on a continuum. Right. There's been a an acceptance that women's sexuality is very fluid and and that there was this perception that men were very rigid. They were either gay or they were straight. There was no movement. And now they're starting to understand that that's not actually true. Right. And I mean, I can just tell you that from um, being in polyamorous communities and stuff for many years, um, that bisexual men were always much more accepted. Bisexuality in swinger culture is very frowned upon. Um, Women are encouraged to be bisexual. Men are not allowed. Um, And just in society in general. Um, Yeah, I mean... There's also another aspect to this, and I think this has made it harder for bi people, which is you're only as bi as what you're dating. Right. And at the end of it all, you know, if if you're a bi man in a monogamous relationship with a man, you are gay. Right. We- if you are a bi man in a monogamous relationship with a woman, you are heterosexual. We're not talking about what you might do next or what you had done previously. And that actually is a lot of the cause of why bisexuality is, I think, construed the way that it is. So, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it does come down to more of just acknowledging and letting people be comfortable in how they want to identify. But, it's you know, you can identify trans and... And we're up in arms about being able to do that and pick which bathroom you go into and all of that right now. But we don't have that freedom when it comes to identifying as bi. Right. So Robin Oaks is a pretty outspoken bi activist. And one of the things that she talks about is that she didn't come out as gay, even though she's been in a long-term monogamous relationship with a woman, because it required that she dismiss all of her previous attractions to men as some sort of false consciousness. And that for her, that that concept of gay or straight versus bisexual doesn't capture all of the space in between. Right. And Oak says, I acknowledge that I have in myself the potential to be attracted romantically and or sexually to people of more than one sex and or gender, not necessarily at the same time not necessarily in the same way and not necessarily to the same degree. Right. And I just thought that was really important. I know for me that, you know, when I was working in the LGBT community and I actually had to, you know, I spoke on, on marriage. I was a pretty big uh, advocate for 
recognition of same-sex relationships illegally. And part of it for me was having been in relationships with men and with women and the ways in which my relationships were with women were considered to be less legitimate by my family, yeah. by my community, by the law. And they weren't less legitimate to me. And yet I, and, and I felt the sense of, in some ways I felt a, a sense of betrayal towards these relationships when I started dating men in that I could have this legitimacy and, and it was very, it was very painful to me that, yeah. that it was just suddenly invisible. Like you were saying, like I'm, I'm dating a man. And so suddenly my relationships with women were no longer real. And that wasn't true. That doesn't have how I felt. Yeah. And so I feel like that the ways in which it becomes invisible is, is very demoralizing. It is. And, and like I said, you know, and that's why on one hand, I applaud a study that's trying to bring more of a light into bisexuals and, and, and that sort of thing. But this one is just ridiculous in that it's making this outlandish claim that, oh, anyone who gets remotely aroused by essentially watching porn is bi. There's no other option. Or gay. Right. And they, they said, you know, they're either bi or gay. And it, the, some of it is, you know, that larger question of what you were talking about earlier and I shot you down. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that we could do a show on around like the, the sort of the ways in which sexuality, like what's happening for people for real has to be kind of boxed in and and it's easy to say oh that's mainstream culture or that's straight culture that's conservative culture right and i can tell you that's not true when i was in a lesbian relationship in a very you know sort of quote-unquote progressive lesbian community i actually didn't feel like i could acknowledge that i was a bisexual woman i mean that's the thing i i I think that's what a lot of people don't get if you are heteronormative or gay or lesbian was you don't realize that the people around you that would or possibly do identify as bi don't have a home if you know (laughs) it reminds me of a joke from family guy Uh and i've seen this joke a thousand times in a thousand different ways but this one for some reason always just runs through my head there's an episode where one of the characters is actually portrayed as black while the other character is white and the baby on the show um, comes out being half black and half white and proclaims loudly, this is perfect. Now I'll be accepted by both. And right. And that's not, that's not ever how it goes. And so if I had any recommendation for anybody in their community, um, go find somebody who's by and tell them that it's okay because realistically nothing else about society, whether they're hanging out in the gay culture or the straight culture or the, you know, whatever polyamorous culture, whatever they're in, probably none of it feels like home. And that is the real plight that bisexual people are up against right now. No, it's true. And I was trying to find, I was trying to track this down and I couldn't. So I'm going to talk about it and I apologize. I can give you no actual references to it. Um, I went to a conference several years ago and there was this woman who was working on a study that was kind of mapping the challenges that bisexual people face and kind of mapping them to the challenges that biracial people face in that they they aren't really welcome 
in either community and they have to claim the community they're in in order to be accepted. And that, and so, um, when they talked about with that was kind of what they called choice points. So I'm hanging out with you and we're talking and I realize that you assume that I'm straight and I'm quote unquote, just like you. And then do I do that awkward thing where I somehow sort of try to bring this other part of me in, which generally just doesn't feel good to anybody. However, not saying anything feels sort of oddly deceptive or a little bit like I'm, you know, cutting a part of myself off. And so it creates this constant feeling of anxiety for people who exist in this in-between world. And it's very similar. This woman's uh, study she was doing, she was at um, a university in Minneapolis. It's very similar to what biracial people go through in terms of not really feeling at home in either the either race that they identify with. You know, right. we often say black and white, but it could be Mexican and black or Indian and white or whatever. They, they end up feeling like there's no place for them instead of m- more places. Right. And, and it's the same kind of thing, you know, for bi people, because it doesn't matter if you're just a little gay or just a little straight, <laughs> you're equally out of touch with whatever group that you're trying to, you know, interact with whether it's the heteronormative or the gay community or whatever. Yeah. So I think that your suggestion of, you know, being more open and encouraging people to know they're okay. And I think also not making the assumption that where someone is at right now is where they've always been. That could allow people to feel more of a sense of comfort. I mean, your story very clearly identifies that you, 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 you have both sides of that history in your history. Yeah. And it's, it's been interesting to me, you know, you mentioned that sometimes I'll talk about things. I don't really think about it because it's my life and people are very confused. They don't, they're like, where did that come from? <laughs> well, people don't understand how you can be married to one partner talking about a completely different life. Yeah. But that is your reality. And, you know, you've acknowledged it and I, I'm, I'm proud of you for not necessarily hiding that or feeling weird about it. But, you know, and, and the only times I've ever brought it up is when people just sort of, I watch their eyes get wide. Like, what do you mean you were married to that person? <laughs> yeah. And I don't, it's I, not even a judgment thing, but just mostly surprise, I think. Right. Cause I don't, and that's, I think the other part is you know, that we want to believe, I think often we want the world to be simpler than it is. So we want to believe we can know something about someone when we look at them. And I know that I don't fit those stereotypes. Yeah, but most people don't. No, most, most people, people just don't. aren't open about it because they can't be. Right. And so at any rate, um, our I would say our conclusion is that the study is bogus. Well, it's not true. The study wasn't bogus. However, the- it just it, it, as with most studies, it didn't have enough information to draw any real conclusions. So everybody just took what information they could from it and said, hmm, they're attracted. There were people having sex. They must just like all of them. They're all by. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it ignored, it ignored the difference between sexual relevance and actual sexual attraction. And I think the other thing that you pointed out, which is our, our choice around our actions, you know, I can, I can be attracted to many people and I can make choices about it. So it doesn't mean I'm gay or straight. Well, considering some of the women were attracted to chimpanzees having sex. Yes. Clearly we don't need to be um, discussing whether or not they're all into bestiality, right? right? But it was the act of having sex. So that to me is what really tore that whole study apart was 
um, essentially they had a sexual reaction to watching sex. Right. I'm pretty sure that's normal and doesn't actually say anything about their sexuality. So to buy and not to buy. That's our conclusion. <laughs> Welcome to the Bi Moment. So you had one this week. Yeah, well, recently in May, okay, actually to be accurate, in March of 2017, Nevada ratified... Can you guess what it is? You can because I told you. Yeah, I already know the answer to this. <laughs> they were the first state in 40 years to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, which, you know, we all thought maybe was dead, right? Right. <laughs> so. I, I, did they have a grassroots movement for that or what, what caused that? So, interestingly, what occurred was. Because it's not in the news anywhere. I mean, plenty of things are and that hasn't been. And, well, it, yeah, it's gotten some attention but not a ton. So, Madison, do you remember him? Super dead a couple hundred years ago, James yes. Madison, right? So previously, amendments to the Constitution didn't actually have an expiration date. So you, like, get it through the process of Congress and the Senate. It goes to the states to be ratified. And then if it's ratified, it goes through. So Madison had written some kind of tax thing. And it went through a couple years ago. And so then all the feminist groups and the ERA groups were like, wait a minute. Why did we get stuck with a time limit, right? Right. (laughs) And so this that's when this movement started a few years ago. Um, when that went through, it was like, well, maybe we could make this happen. And so some of the local groups in different states started working to get their states to ratify. So Nevada ratified in March of 2017. Illinois was the 37th state to ratify. They ratified in May of 2018. Okay. Um a little note, the first version of the Equal Rights Amendment was introduced in 1923. Wow. Yeah. So they've been trying okay. to do this for a little while. And um, the original one in 1972 was given a 10-year deadline. So technically 1982 was supposed to be all dead. Right. Um, however, because of this thing with Madison, what what these groups did was they started saying, well, let's see if we can – really revive this and there's a expectation that they could lobby congress to overturn the deadline gotcha and then sort of accept the ratifications that have occurred got it so um and the the objections to it when it was over when it was sort of prevented (laughs) um the objections were a fear of same-sex marriage which is already legal and a fear of women serving in combat which they do. Yeah. Like we sort of ended up back end solving those problems. So, so the, the two boogeymen that were put up as the, Oh, if, if this happens, these horrible things will occur. Those things have already occurred. So it, it, there's a, there's a possibility that it could actually go through. And, you know, there, I get, you know, there are some objections. People are like, well, why do we need that? You know, what's the point? <laughs> And, um, and it really just comes down to affirming sort of an equity that then allows for that to, to trickle down in a variety of ways. I think it would be able to be very useful for equal pay claims Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So, so I'm hopeful, um, the states that are left are not 
necessarily, I think we just need one or two more and, and, and they're not what I would call like super promising. However, it could happen. Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. So I was kind of, I was kind of excited about it. And then also for me that the, the Bicurian moment of that was sort of this like, wait a minute, you know, like you were saying, like it's not in the news. I thought it was dead, but. Right. Like when you brought it up to me, I was like, is that still a thing? It's still a thing. <laughs> I just didn't even realize it was. So. So yeah, I didn't either. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. And I kind of appreciate that. You know, someone's trying. It it did floor me when I was looking into it that the first one was intru- introduced in 1923. Like, wow. there's a little bit of, and yeah. So there you go. Well, That's that mine. is yeah, that is very interesting, and uh, we should definitely keep an eye on that. Maybe um, there'll be some more news about that. It uh, it's interesting that it's not dead. So, um, my bikerian moment was a little more lighthearted, and yet, um, as we were talking about right before we started recording <laughs> oddly not lighthearted in a lot of ways yeah um it took me a few weeks to see incredibles 2 it's a fantastic movie i really enjoyed it i loved the first movie i loved the second one but man like talk about a, a trip back you know 14 years after the first one came out just to be back in that headspace and to see all of the things they actually tackle in that movie about gender roles um, the expectations and all of that, the way that they're actually able to make, um, you know, some of these assumptions about gender roles and, and approach them in a way of like, you know, it's okay to be the big strong man trying to provide for your family. It's okay to be a mom. It's okay, you know, to be an awkward teenager, all of that stuff. And they kept it all going in the second one. Uh, and there was even a little bit more complexity to it. Um, if anyone's familiar with the characters, uh, Elastigirl is, you know, the the mom in the family and, and the hero. And in, in the second movie, you can see this from the coming attraction, so no spoilers here. She ends up being the one to go out and try to bring back acceptance of superpowered people in society because they decide she'd make a great face for it. Um, you know, and, and all of the complexities with that. Uh, as well as, you know, some of the other characters, um, you know, there, there's some issues with a brother and a sister and the, the brother is sort of kind of pushed aside. The sister kind of is conniving because she feels like he's gotten all the attention. So many different layers to it. It was really fantastic. And I would highly recommend, um, even if you're not into the animated kid movie genre, I would say Incredibles, Incredibles 2 might be two of the most intensely adult-oriented kids' movies I've seen in a long time. Nah, no, I thought they were really well done. So, I invite you to go and check those out. Seconded. Uh, if you have ideas, feedback, thoughts, please find us on social media, by Kirian on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or give us a call at 720-507-7309, or you can email podcast at bikerian.com. Have a great week. Thank you.